live and underway here on ESPN Plus. And for this special edition, live and underway from Mexico City, you're looking at the Angel de la Independencia, where Mexico fans traditionally gather after a big win. Will they be there on Thursday night? Or will this crew, the, we're told 800 plus American outlaws and American fans that have made the trip here to Mexico City be celebrating in just over 24 hours time as we get set for the U.S. and Mexico in an absolutely critical World Cup qualifier. We are coming to you live from Pinche Gringo's great barbecue spot here in Mexico City. Alongside Hercules Gomez, Mauricio Pedrosa, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Guys, uh, how are we feeling? It's, I don't think we've even been here 24 hours. It feels like we've been here a week. It does feel. I'm exhausted. It does feel like we've been here a week. You could already see people are anxious. They're ready. I, and I sense a lot of excitement, nervous tension. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I had to check my phone just to just to make sure that we are in Mexico right now. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, with all these fans, I was I was not 100% sure, but I gotta say it does make for a great atmosphere for what it's supposed to be a great game. So welcome a la Ciudad de México, el Clásico de la Concacaf around the corner. Very excited to be here. Absolutely, should be a great game. Should be a great show. We're efforting hits from Azteca with Pilar Perez and Jeff Carla. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring you their perspective on a huge match to come. But let's dive in on the atmosphere because we've been here since last night. And let's start maybe on the Mexican side because we get a lot of what U.S. fans are thinking when we're in the United States. But I know you guys have been talking to Mexican fans and specifically on your show, Auto Nunca, earlier today, Mexican pundits as well. What kind of vibes are you getting? I'm getting a lot of uh, nervous tension from my colleagues down south, and uh, it's unsettling. I've never seen them this way. Really? A lot of them are, are not willing to accept a fourth consecutive loss. A lot of them are... We need to do the el golpe de autoridad. We need to send a message type of talk, which is funny. Instead of we need to qualify, it's no, we need to send a message. There seems to be this nervous energy around Mexican camp. Yeah, I'd go past nervous. I would go negative energy almost. It is a negative energy. I lived in Mexico City almost 10 years. I have a lot of friends here, and I kept asking them in the days prior of us coming here, are you excited for the Are you going to the game? And sadly, the thing that I have to report is People are not truly excited to watch the Mexican national team. There seems to be some sort of disconnection between the fans and the team. Some of that has been caused by the players, by their performances, because, hey, this could be the very first time in this rivalry history that the U.S. men's national team wins four games in a row, and the Mexican fan has already started doubting their own team. So, yes, tomorrow when the game starts, there's going to be a lot of nervous people you put some of the blame there on the players, and I kind of want to go down that road because we have heard some comments maybe about a month and a half ago from Hector Herrera about the Azteca not really having the same weight that it did, it not being the home field advantage. Now we've heard in recent times from Andres Guardado, the field at the Azteca is a problem. The negativity isn't just from the fans, it's not just from the press, it's from the players themselves here, Mal. Yeah, and I don't think this comes just out of the nothing. I do believe there's something inside that locker room that's just not right. I blame Hector Herrera. I didn't like the words from Hector Herrera, kind of blaming the fans for not having what he believes is proper support for the team. And I feel do, the do the fans not turn on their team? Well, the fan responds to what the fan sees on the pitch. And if the fan doesn't like the product, I believe they are entitled to dislike it and just to make the players know that and what they're is he happy wrong? with it. Is it a home field advantage when they do that? No. Not really? No. no. Not really? Now, there's also, you mentioned this disconnect with the players and the fans. There seems to be a disconnect with the federation and the fans as well. We're, we're seeing, and I've been listening to a lot of my colleagues down here, down south, this social media campaign to weaponize the homophobic chant. Coming from the fans themselves, right? Coming from the fans themselves in an effort to hurt the federation in their pockets, like, we will show you. I wouldn't like to generalize well, well, Mexican it's a campaign. It's a campaign. It's a group of fans, right? I'm saying it's a social media campaign that's going around, and what they seem to get out of it is they're thinking they're going to show the Federation. And Yonel Luisa, in some silly manner himself, responded, well, go ahead and do it, see what happens type of, type of a comeback, which is ridiculous to me. You don't weaponize the homophobic chants. You don't try to make something right with plain homophobia. No. Let me tell you this. The Mexican national team used to galvanize the fans, the people, right? You might be a Chivas fan, you might be an America fan, I might be a Puma fan. The, the Mexican national team will bring us together. 
Sadly, that's no longer the case. So I'm very curious to see what happens tomorrow when the game starts. I'm not doubting you. Point. That is a very rosy perspective, though. I was here in 2013 at Azteca for USA-Mexico, final days of Chepo. Long time ago, Sebi. And, and at halftime, they were Fuera Chepo, and that stadium turned, and Mexico had a terrible second half because it was literally a home field disadvantage. So I remember that well. Maybe at a peak right now, but it's not exactly new. La exigencia, what the Mexican public demands of its national team, is always there. All right, uh, we mentioned we were trying to get Jeff Carlisle from Azteca. I think we have him live from outside El Coloso de Santa Ursula. So let's uh, bring Jeff in right now uh, from El Estadio Azteca. He has been uh, covering the team. Obviously, the U.S. team had its walk through there earlier today. They just got into town uh, here on this Wednesday, Jeff. Uh, let's start, I guess, with tactics. Uh, why don't we start with tactics? Because I want to know what kind of game we're going to get. When you hear Greg Berhalter talk, are we going to see an aggressive U.S. against Mexico or one that sits back and kind of fears its rival? Well, I think in talking to Greg Berhalter, I think he's going to be aggressive, but he's going to be aggressive with intelligence. I mean, they're not going to be taking any kind of crazy risks and, you know, really trying to expose themselves and get a ton of numbers into attack. I think they're going to maybe play defensively from the start and, and try to build their, their, their attack from there. So, um, again, it's... I think you're going to see the U.S. have a little bit more of the ball than they did the last time they were here under Bruce Arena. I think that the stats for that game were like 74-26 possession in favor of Mexico. But, uh, you know, again, I think the U.S. is going to try to play smart. And they have two more games this window. So, you know, they're going to try to conserve energy where they can and take their opportunities where they can. You know, Jeff, I remember that game, that Bruce Arena game. They ended up signing, they ended up playing with three center backs, two wing backs. It was definitely a curveball from Bruce Arena. I've given my starting 11 already on the show. Jeff, I'm curious. Given the needs, and I've addressed, I think, the need to replace Weston McKinney, who comes in for him, and the need at number nine are big issues. What's your projected 11? Just gauging Greg Berhalter and the coaching staff, what do you think are the big decisions he's facing? Well, Berhalter played it very close to the vest in terms of his uh, pregame press conference today, so I'm going to go with what I think the lineup is going to be. I think it's going to be Ethan Horvath in goal. I think he's played more games than Zach Steffen has of late, so I think he's a little bit more in his match rhythm. I think the back four is going to be Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman, and then DeAndre Yedlin on the right. And then I, that leaves a guy like Reggie Cannon, although Reggie Cannon was not seen in the, in the pregame uh, or the, the pregame warm-up uh, or the pre-practice warm-up, I should say. So that's a little bit of a concern, but uh, I think it'll be Yedlin at right back. The, the three-man midfield will be Yunus Musa, Tyler Adams, and Kellen Acosta. I think he's going to do his best to try to replicate what Weston McKinney would normally give the team. And then up top, you're going to have Pulisic on one wing. You're going to have Tim Way on the other, and then Jordan Pifak in the middle. I don't think the U.S. is going to win the possession battle, but they're going to have to possess the ball for some stretches just to give themselves a breather, just to give themselves a break. And I think Jordan Pifak, with his size and with his hold-up play, is going to be able to, to kind of help the U.S. keep the ball a little bit better. So that's why I've got him as the number nine. Interesting. There's some differences from your 11 yeah. similarities. I'm surprised you both went with Ethan Horvath. That's hot hand. It's got to be something said for the hot hand. Right. Um, one of the things that's been, Jeff, a Absolutely. big talking point around this team is the potential for rotations, right? And I know that it came up in the press conference today, Greg Berhalter talking about, about a B team. Uh, what did he say, and does it shed any more light on what he actually might do as far as rotations go in this window? Well, Berhalter said in his press conference that they did discuss the, the possibility of having like a B team play against Mexico and then having a completely different squad for Panama. He didn't really say one way or the other which way it was going to go, but I think what's going to happen is it's going to be a hybrid. I think you're going to see guys like Gio Reyna rested, at least at the start, and then you'll see other players like Jordan Pifak. I don't think he goes two games in a row. I think the Panama game is a good time for Ricardo Pepe to step in. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens at right back. We'll see if Reggie Cannon is able to, to help out against Panama as well. So, And then with five subs, too, I think that makes a little bit of a difference, or actually a significant difference because you don't necessarily have to, to keep your subs in the bag, in your back pocket for most of the game. I think with five subs, it's going to give Greg Berhalter some flexibility, some tactical flexibility and personnel flexibility to uh, basically rest some guys, maybe not have them go the full 90, maybe have, maybe have them go 60, and that way you, you still have you know, plenty of energy left for Panama. 
five subs, as we know that Greg Berhalter told us in his press conference a couple days ago that he would use. It's a good thing. It's good to see that uh, Greg Berhalter watches Football Americas. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, great to see. it's great to see. Jeff, I've got to ask you really quick. We've got to say goodbye to Jeff. We've got to send him a guy. Oh. Yeah, yeah, we're getting rushed off here. <laughs> so, all right, uh, Jeff, we appreciate the time. you got a lot of stuff to do. Thank you for joining us for Azteca. Invaluable perspective. Great to have you there to listen in to Greg Berhalter and catch the uh, national team as they got their final, final look at Azteca before the big game. So Christian Pulisic, let's talk about him. It was one of the last questions we wanted to get into um, with Jeff and what kind of role he would have, what kind of player he would have as we look here at the longest winning streak. Wow. Could be four in a row for the United States, four in a row. Really would seem like a turning point, Herc, in the series. It is a turning point. It's a huge turning point because look at those stats right there. The period 1937 to 57 and then 65 to 75. We're talking about last millennia. We're talking about last century. This century with the U.S. men's national team, a very green U.S. men's national team, a team that in that stretch has managed to rip away two trophies from you and a World Cup qualifier in Cincinnati and other Dos Aceros. So yeah, it would be a huge stretch. And, and if, we, if we're going to talk about streaks like that, uh, we just have to go back and try to figure out when was the last time that the Mexican national team beat the U.S. men's national team playing World Cup qualifier at Estadio Azteca. So now it's a trend, right? It, it used to be the Are you time. asking? No, I'm not asking. 2009. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but my point is, if this is the trend, because we kept saying during the summer, at least I kept saying, you guys didn't say that, I said that. Those three games mean nothing. Right, I don't think right. that's exactly what the Mexican national team is or what the rivalry is or where it stands right now. But the game tomorrow, to me at least, it will tell us a lot from both teams. And I don't know if we're going to find who El Gigante de la CONCACAF is. That most likely is Canada. It's right already now. Canada right now. But it will tell us if this process that is aiming obviously for the World Cup in 2022, but also for the World Cup in 2026, which team is in better shape? Which team has the better process? Yeah, there's, I mean, so much at stake for both of these teams, right? We, we kind of are thinking about what they need to qualify. Both teams with a win tomorrow and some help could clinch tomorrow. Wow. So right there you have, I think, enough to play for a World Cup spot um, on the line. The other thing is, yes, I think that when you talk about the state of the rivalry, right, a seminal moment. It was one thing when the U.S. beat Mexico twice in a row. That was unique. Then three in a row was different. But this would be the first, the first in Azteca in a World Cup qualifier. To me, when you look at where Mexico's going, where the U.S. is going, that would be just a huge, again, statement win for this American side. Statement win for Greg Berhalter. He already has marquee wins over Tata Martino, but also these players. These players and what it would mean for them individually. And I'm talking about a guy like Christian Pulisic. I mean, Christian Pulisic is a player that's not played very well in World Cup qualifying. He's underwhelmed. But when it comes to playing against Mexico, it's been iconic. And what I mean about Christian Pulisic is, if Christian Pulisic were to treat this as a legacy game, a win in El Estadio Azteca, when you ask any U.S. men's national team fan, who's the best U.S. men's national team player of all time, it's pretty split. It's Landon Donovan or Clint Dempsey. But you ask a Mexico fan, who's the best U.S. men's national team? Who's the best men's national team player? Landon Donovan. Why? Because he hurt Mexico. Because he's got iconic moments. Peen in El Estadio Jalisco. The 2 a 0 in a World Cup that sent the U.S. to El Quinto Partido and not Mexico. All these iconic moments. Christian Pulisic already has two. The penalty kick in the final in the CONCACAF Nations League, shushing the crowd, and the man in the mirror celebration. This could be a legacy type of game for him. He is the face of that rivalry right now. He is the face of the rivalry. But you guys are very concerned. I was hearing your questions to Carl, right? Is Greg Berhalter going to rotate? How is he going to face this match? Very important match. Let's remember one thing that happened in the summer and then in Cincinnati. The U.S. men's national team beat Mexico with three very different teams. So it really doesn't matter who starts as of late. The U.S. has Mexico's number, and if that doesn't change tomorrow, then it's going to be very concerning for the Mexican national team going forward, knowing that regardless of who starts, that team is able to beat you if it's Copa Oro, if it's a qualifier, or if it's a Nations League match. Uh, let's reset the scene here a little bit at Pinche Gringos in Mexico City, where you have uh, some of the best barbecue, and I think 700, 800 American fans here who have, uh, have gathered ahead of this 
huge game. I think one of the things that I'm picking up from the fans is just how special the experience is. And one of the things they keep coming back to in terms of the rivalry is that this feels like in many ways the end of the rivalry because it's the last World Cup qualifier, certainly for the next cycle. And I think that puts even somehow a little bit more urgency on the game tomorrow. Well, of course, because it's such a special game, at least for a World Cup qualifier, there's really nothing like it in this region. It's unique in that sense. And with an expanded World Cup, with them hosting the World Cup together alongside Canada, we may not see this game for quite some time. We won't know what that rivalry looks like in the future. So it is something to be cherished. Let's talk about the managers, shall we? Uh, the people who we put the most scrutiny on uh, here on Football Americas. And I wonder who you guys think is not under more pressure, right? Because that's, that's something that comes from your environment. But who tonight, as they put their head down on their pillow, is more nervous about tomorrow's game between the two managers? I think there's no doubt, at least in my mind, that it's Tata Martino. Tata Martino, and by no stretch of the imagination, because he could honestly be fired if they don't win. Go back, and I mean, I'm sure people, plenty of people are going to say, what do you mean fired? They're not going to fire him with two games to go in this World Cup qualifier. Let's go back and check the history. September 6, 2013, Mexico loses to Honduras in the Estadio Azteca. Chapo de la Torre is the coach. He gets fired. Four days later, they face the United States with interim head coach Fernando Tena, who is going to take over that job. They leave because he loses 2 0. He's out. Victor Manuel Vicetich is in October 11th. October 15th, after Mexico only beat Panama in that bicycle kick goal from Raul Jimenez. They lose to Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, Victor Manuel Bucetich, you're out. It's Miguel Herrera who comes in in November to take over for World Cup qualification in that playing game. The point you're making is that the Mexican Federation, generally this environment, is much more likely to get rid of their coach. Much more volatile. And in some ways, I agree with Herkin that there, it definitely this cycle feels like 2014, doesn't it? It does a little bit. Some similarities I don't, there. I just don't think the circumstances are exactly the same. No, you're so right. So that leads that. me. Are to they go. not? So the answer to the question, who's under more pressure? It is Tata Martino. That's the right answer. Now, who's more nervous tonight? Tata Martino. Tata Martino. Tata Martino. Same deal. I mean, we just we just mentioned the previous games, right? And big questions are regarding how is this Mexican national team better because of Tata Martino? I do not have the answer to that question, and I believe. Neither does Tata Martino, which is even more terrifying than it, that, that if I think that way. But I don't believe that if he loses the game tomorrow, he will get fired. But John Sutliff on our Anunca, and he's very well sourced, he said that even if Mexico qualifies for the World Cup, they lose that game tomorrow against the U.S. here in La Ciudad de Mexico, that might be the final a drop of, how we say, la gota que derramó el vaso. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, they broke the camel's back. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that would pretty much seal his fate. There's a chance he might not be Mexico's manager in the World Cup. We cannot stress the fact that it'll be the fourth consecutive loss to a U.S. men's national team that's still very green. Two of those were for a trophy. One of those, for the first time, could be historic. None of your none of your points are wrong, right? All the, all the points about pressure are correct. What, the one thing that I would say is that I think Greg Berhalter is under significant pressure. I think he's got a lot to worry about tonight. I think he has more oh, problems sure. figuring out the 11. And none of what you guys talked about was qualification. A lot of what you guys talked about was orgullo. You can't. No, 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 Seth. Mine is qualification. I don't. I don't think there's threat that Mexico will. Oh. I don't think. Dropping points will. at home with two games to go. Yeah, but then they got 21 points. Salvador, you have you to got what's coming. Exactly why. We sit here the whole time and we say qualification is the most important thing. I don't think Mexico, even losing to the U.S., is in threat of not qualifying. But I do think the U.S. losing to Mexico isn't a threat of not. Let qualifying. me ask you a question. Is it a must-win game for Mexico? Um, not for qualifying. Is it a must-win game I'm, for Mexico? Qualifying? So, yes, it is. No, let me. No, no, no. I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Could miss the World Cup if they don't qualify. Listen, yes. listen. Even even if Mexico loses this game, right? They they're gonna have to travel to Honduras, right? Where it's historically never gone yes, too well. Honduras and El Salvador are playing for nothing. They're not gonna qualify. No, no they're playing to eliminate the Mexico, which they would love to do. They have to face Panama and Costa Rica. We're fighting right now for that for that fourth spot. So, I'm to me, this is not an answer okay about fans. math. This is not an answer about points because Mexico loses this game, right? Four time in a row, you lose to your rival. Where's the confidence level? Where's the confidence level for that team? That's not going to affect you the right? next two games? Same thing applies, though, for Greg Berhalter. I believe both teams will qualify for the World Cup. So it's not about the math. 
It's about confidence. It's about sending a message. It's about realizing where you stand in CONCACAF, where you stand against your rival. And I think that plays a big, big factor for tomorrow's game. You know what else it's about? Fan expectations. And I think something we've always talked about on this show is that fan, press, everybody's yeah. expectations in Mexico are obviously much more. All right, Matt, we're going to let you go for just a minute. I'll be back in a bit. Not I got to go, go face some dos acero chants ah. behind me. Yeah, why don't you go make some friends? Work <laughs> is our security um, here. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Let's focus in on the United States because they arrived in Mexico uh, a little bit interesting, Kurt. Not, not long ago. In fact, just this morning, just Wednesday morning, didn't come in uh, with plenty of time to kind of get accustomed uh, to the altitude and all that. They had their final walkthrough at the Azteca at around 5.30 local time today. Uh, and of course, just a few hours before that, Greg Berhalter addressed the media, took some questions. Let's hear what the U.S. men's national team manager had to say. And one thing I told the staff um, in our in our meeting uh, as we started camp was, you know, this is probably the biggest the biggest week of our lives as as professional coaches, and that's just honest. You know, you know, I've coached in Columbus and I coached an MLS final and stuff like this, but this is bigger than that. I heard that argument. You know, we should play a B team, and and what I did is I took it to the staff and we debated it. We looked at all sides of it. We said, hey, does this does this does this have merit? And, um, you know, I think it was an important exercise to do for us to, to, to be able to do that. And, um, you know, we came out with our answer and you'll see tomorrow. But, um, you know, it, it's certainly there's no harm in looking at both sides of this thing. And we, we know that the Panama game will be an important game. But we also know that Mexico will be an important game. We also know Costa Rica has the potential to be an important game. So our mindset is one game at a time. All right, so they're the words of uh, Greg Berhalter. Christian Pulisic also uh, speaking to the media earlier today. Uh, let's keep talking about Pulisic because I don't think we wrapped up uh, that conversation before moving on. We have spoken on this show a lot about the pressure that he's under, the pressure that he himself feels. He actually mentioned that in the press conference today, him trying to do too much. And yet, when you look at this game, you look at what he's done against Mexico, and you look at who else isn't here, I feel like there's never been more pressure on Christian Pulisic than right now. He has to be the man, right? He's the flag bearer. For, for better or worse, he is that man. Whether he wants to have it or not, that's his responsibility because he's the best player in the pool. I mean, talent-wise, that's his ceiling. He's the and best player. And form right now, right? And form. Yeah, I mean, he's which, been unbelievable the Weston's, last Weston's on the shelf, and he's been lights out because Champion League rolls around, and he's a big pressure type of guy. He's a big player type of guy. The scene is big, the stage is grand. This is when he comes out. He's already in Champions League, seven goals, four of them knockout rounds. He needs to bring that and translate that into this stage. And quite frankly, the biggest rivalry, the biggest game in this region, whether he wants to or not, whether he feels comfortable or not, tomorrow is his opportunity. What about from the Mexico perspective or maybe the defensive perspective? How do you stop Christian Pulisic? I mean, the, the easy answer is you just kick him and you don't stop kicking him until he leaves the match. But there is some evidence, right? If you go back to that Nations League final, yes, the penalty, yes, the shush the crowd moment. But he was quiet up until. Yeah, he was How quiet. How did Mexico do it, and can they replicate that? That was a strange game for Mexico. So if you go back and look at that game, they dominated possession in or around the box, but the better of the chances. I mean, isn't were, that always Mexico? Yes, but but I mean, the better. You know what? Yes, the better of the chances, and on set pieces especially, were all the United States men's national team. So it'll be very interesting to see who starts as a right back for Mexico and the task that is trying to keep Christian Pulisic at bay, who's very, very good in a 1v1 setting, coming in centrally and in transition, I think the U.S. can really hurt Mexico, but Mexico's going to have the lion's share of the ball. They're going to have the possession. It's what the U.S. can do when they have their time. Uh, hey, real quick, since we just saw Christian Pulisic show the, uh, the man in the mirror shirt, the shot uh, at Memo Cho in the game in Cincinnati, he is growing uh, as a leader, as a person. In that shot, we see he's not wearing the captain's armband. You think he should be the captain tomorrow? No, I don't think he changed it. I think it's Tyler Adams. Okay. I don't think you saved Tyler Adams either. 
Let's say you try saving him. He's on a yellow, right. Let's say you try saving Tyler Adams and you get cute, and he gets a yellow versus Panama, and you don't get a result. Now you have to go to Costa Rica without Tyler Adams? You don't have him for two of the three games in the final window because you try to get cute? No, you play Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams is the, I would say, uh, leader with the captain's arm. But there's the different leaders because I think Weston McKinney's the heartbeat. I think Tyler Adams is that leader. Cerebral guy, Cerebral, right? Like, yeah, but He's I think Christ on the field. Christian, Christian Pulisic is the shield. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, very well. Well, listen, uh, whether he plays tomorrow, Tyler Adams is, and he will play in some yes. capacity, we think, is sure to play a huge role for the U.S. over this window and in the future. Uh, and we were fortunate enough uh, to have our Alexis Nunez go to Leipzig, sit down with Tyler Adams. Uh, so let's listen in. Here's Tyler Adams with our Alexis Nunez. All right, let's talk U.S. men's national team now because World Cup qualifiers are coming up. My heart's broken because Jamaica's no longer in it. Thanks for that, by the way. Um, but USA, Mexico, big one. This is the one that I think everyone looks forward to in CONCACAF. Um, going to Mexico now, though, the rivalry is still quite strong. We've, saw, we've seen the, the unfortunate scenes recently in Querétaro. Um, has that kind of just given you a little bit of a, a panic or any reservations of going there this time around? Yeah, I mean, I think when something like that happens, it always gives you chills, especially when you have to travel there within the weeks following it. Um, but there's a lot going on in the world right now that we obviously wish we could change or go back on. Um, but for us as people, we just need to uh, help the people that are in need the most. And, you know, obviously, I don't think the game is going to get changed by any circumstances for, for what has happened. But, um, you know, hopefully this game will bring light to better circumstances. And of course, this is USA Mexico, as I said, everyone looks forward to it. But I feel like um, in the last couple of years, um, or the last couple of meetings at least, a lot of people kind of feel that the rivalry is now more in favor of the US to win, that you guys kind of go in as the favorites, regardless whether you're home or away. Um, how do you guys see it? I mean, I feel like the mentality of our team is we're the underdogs in every situation. Um, you know, especially against Mexico with the history that they have, you know, against the U.S. it's always been a big game, but Mexico as, as a soccer country um, has done so well in the past with their national teams and they're still doing, you know, extremely well. They have so many talented players that are playing in Europe and playing in La Liga and big leagues and, you know, I feel like maybe they're not talked about as much as, as us, you know, but we're excited about our team. We think we have a young, dynamic team and a lot of young players that are doing well in their first teams in Europe. And um, I think when we come together, we have a really good chemistry. So, um, yeah, we look forward to going into camp to, with each other and playing in big games like, like the one against Mexico. And then, uh, as we were saying, like exciting young team, I think you guys look stacked, even people coming off the bench. I think there's so many names that everyone, not just in the U.S., but around the world are actually mm -hmm. excited about. But I know you hate the name Golden Generation or that kind of cliche thing that we tend to throw around. Why, why don't, doesn't that name, you feel, sit well with this U.S. team? Yeah, because, I don't know, a Golden Generation is great, but I think that what we're trying to build is kind of the 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 pave pavement and pave way for the next generation and more kids to come through because we already know that our team is so young there's going to be even younger kids that are developing and going to break into the first team soon as well I'm sure and so much can happen between now and six months later and now in the World Cup that there might even be more young talented players that are coming so you know I don't really think it's just our generation of you know 98s 99s 2000s there's kids that are 2005 2006 that are going to be just as good and going to ha have to help us you know for the next World Cup and, and more time to come so you know I think we're just starting to to set the groundwork for what we're trying to build. And speaking of World Cups, obviously we're in a World Cup year and as we were saying with the excitement building for this current squad of US players, um, I feel like the expectations are higher. They're not just qualified for a World Cup. They're not even just make to a quarterfinals or a semifinals. They're almost like go there and win it, you know, win it, do what the likes of the Brazils and the Frances have done. Does that expectation weigh on you or do you feel like it's, it's quite justified now based on the success you guys have been having? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have that expectation at all, to be, to be completely honest with you, because, you know, our first goal is to qualify for the World Cup. So, um, you know, you look at the last cycle and unfortunately we didn't qualify for the World Cup. And it's crazy that the setback that that has on the Federation and all yeah. the players. So, you know, for me, I was 18 when we didn't qualify for the World Cup. You know, six months later, I would have been 19. Who knows if I would have went to that World Cup. And, you know, now you have to go through a bunch of or two years playing friendly matches, not having a qualifying cycle and wait for the next process to start. So, um, 
yeah, our first goal is to qualify for the World Cup and we take it from there. If we're, we're able to make a good run in the World Cup, I think that's important. I think it will, you know, set the expectations high, but um, the following World Cup we have at home. So, you know, we'll, we look forward to that as well. And Ricardo Pepe is about to make his Bundesliga debut. Little note on Scali. He has managed to win his first five Bundesliga challenges. In by Reina towards Axel Witzel! A team goal again because Adams just, just placed it perfectly to Haidara who can take it first time. Just of course everyone watching now um, back home in the US is probably wondering what is it about the Bundesliga that seems to bring out the best of the US players because yeah. we see so many of you just plying your trade here you know Christian obviously is now in the Premier yeah, League yeah. you're here as well Gio Reyna has been yeah. here too um, or just even North American players because as we mentioned Alfonso too um, what, what is it because it seems to be almost like the ideal destination to, to harness young talent yeah it's quite interesting I'm not sure what you know, attracted so many players here. For myself, it was a unique opportunity to move from New York Red Bull to, to RB Leipzig, kind of being in the in the same group and, you know, having a lot of familiar people that are watching my games constantly in New York. And, you know, that connection made it, made it you know, an easy transaction for me to come here and could start to apply my trade immediately and make an impact. You know, for the other young players, I think that after Christian's success here in Dortmund, they realized the market in the U.S., there's talent there. You know, it was always this... Gold mine. There was yeah. Always, yeah, there was always this stereotype you feel of, of of American soccer players that you know they're they're good but are they Europe ready and I think yeah. Christian kind of broke the mold for that and allowed teams to realize yeah we can find the next you know Christian Pulisic or you know players like myself Weston McKinney uh, Gio Reyna those types of players and speaking of that stereotype now I have to ask you because you've worked with some pretty late managers yeah. I mean and one of those that I know you have mad respect for is Jesse Marsh yeah. he's you know, stealing headlines now in England, in the UK, because he's uh, now the manager of Leeds. Right. And Leeds, you know, is such a an historic club right. for England um, that some are wondering, you know, who's this American? Like, yeah. is he almost worth this role, you right. know, with all due respect? Right. Um, what can you tell us about him that y you think would definitely bring something new, that little extra self to, yeah. to Leeds? I mean, I think as an American, you have to earn your respect wherever you go. You know, I think, you know, when you go to Leeds and you come after a manager like uh, Marcelo Bielsa, um, it's, a, it's obviously a big name. You He's know, an it's, absolute it's, genius, exactly. isn't he? Exactly. So it's not going to be easy. But, you know, for me, I, I'm just really grateful for uh, you know, Jesse giving me the opportunity to, to become a professional. You know, he kind of groomed me and, and gave me my first opportunities uh, to play the professional game. So um, he's very heart to heart with you. He, he's he's upfront and honest with you. And um, yeah, I think that that'll do well there. So man management, which people always you know talk about, is so underrated in yeah, football, right? Yeah, super important, super important. I think that when you can have a good connection with your players, uh, you know, they want to battle for you, they want to fight for you on the field every weekend. So um, being able to sit down and talk to them whether it's about football, about life, that connection's important. And I know that one day we were just talking about hopefully we'll have you working for ESPN as an analyst. So I'll <laughs> ask you to put your mini analyst hat on now yes. because Leeds, everyone knows that Bielsa style of play right. was so exciting, even right. though it means you're probably going to concede a gazillion yeah. goals, which ultimately was what did Bielsa in. Right. Right. Um, but now everyone's kind of wondering how Jesse can find that balance to keep mm -hmm. this kind of exciting, just full-flowing play um, without, I suppose, having to concede as many as what happened yeah. when Bielsa was still there. So is, is that something that we can look at Jesse for? It's interesting. It's interesting because I, when you look at Bielsa, you know, Although they conceded a lot of goals, they always were creating opportunities yeah. to score goals as well. So it was always, it was almost always the battle of <laughs> let me try to score more goals than I outscore, than, than I concede. <laughs> and I think that um, now under Jesse, the, the key is obviously finding that stability in that organization. And um, it will be interesting to, to see how he does because you know the players I'm sure love the Bielsa style. At the end of the day, it's a style of play that you probably enjoy playing because it's free flowing football. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see how Jesse does there. Great work there from our Alexis Nunes, sitting down with Tyler Adams. There you see the stats on the young midfielder for the U.S. men's national team. Some interesting things out of that interview. Perhaps most interesting, the World Cup failure of now five years ago still looms over guys didn't even play in Cuba. Yeah, they didn't even play, but think about the generation that missed out. And what I mean by that is I was inspired by watching the 2002 World Cup, Landon Donovan, DeMarcus Beasley, before my eyes, my age, playing in the World Cup, inspired me to want to play for the U.S. Men's National Team and in the World Cup. 2010, hearing Matt Turner talk about how that World Cup made him want to be a professional footballer, how many different players, how many different 
kids missed out on that opportunity to be inspired because of the 2018 World Cup. You can ill afford another World Cup missed. I was interested by what he said about the golden generation. Yeah. I think it's something that these guys have shied away from a lot. I actually think it explains a lot of the tension and frustration we've seen from U.S. fans about this team, right? If it was a team from four or five years ago that was sitting where this team is, I don't think people would be worried. But I think they see what is, in their mind, a golden generation still struggling to really stand out in CONCACAF, to really dominate their opponents. And maybe that's why we see some of the criticisms of not just the players, but the manager himself and Greg Berhalter. Absolutely. I mean, how could you not? Sometimes I feel they shy away from that golden generation tag. Maybe they feel it's unfair, like all this pressure is being put on them. But it's because of where their talent is. But he's right. Right now, it's them. But the 2005, 2006, the next generation could be just as good. All right, so as you can hear, the American Outlaws really starting to get things going uh, here behind us. But earlier in the day, we thought, you know what? I'm tired of asking questions. Let's get some questions from people that actually know something about the game. So this is a segment we're debuting today and perhaps for the only time. Outlawed questions. Here they are. Here's the first of our questions from the American Outlaws. Hey, Herc. Hey, Sebi. The question I have is this. Tomorrow at this game, there's going to be a bunch of people who are out for the United States. We've had some key guys out due to injury. Who is the guy on the roster that you think is most poised to step up and fill the voids left by some of these guys that are not on the roster? Love the work, guys. Yeah, I think just like for like, it's Kellen Acosta, right? Okay. I think it's just the easiest choice is Kellen Acosta because I know, one, he's a fringe, fringe player in quotations who's going to play, who's going to be on that flight if they do make it to Qatar, and he can fill that function. Nobody can replicate Weston McKinney, what he can bring to you. But he's good in other parts. The balance play, defensive bite, set pieces, the uh, poopowsery, if you will. Yeah. All these other things that come into play. I like Kellen Acosta. He's a guy that I, I look for tomorrow. I like that pivot to poopowsery. Poopowsery. Done here yeah. on ESPN. Plus, we like to keep things clean. I'm told, I'm told it is a family show. All right, here's our second of the outlawed questions from earlier today. Who would you start against Mexico as the number nine? Question. Jesus Ferreira after his hat trick right. or Peacock? <laughs> oh. Go ahead, Tabby. Who you got? What do you think, Peacock or Ferreira? Out of the go two? with either. You went with Pepe. I went with Pepe. But if he's making me choose out of the two, yeah. Um, Ferreira coming off that hat trick. Pepe red. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, but it's, it's red it's, hot it's, as always. It's red hot Jordan Peacock because he could offer different things. I don't foresee a U.S. men's national team that's going to have a good amount of the ball tomorrow. And if that's the case, you pick and choose and you spring and also set pieces will be a big factor. I just think he's a player that his movement inside the box, his his target play, and I'm talking about set pieces and crosses, he's just so good at that. He finds a way of creating that space and has a knack for getting on the end of it. I, I like Jordan Peacock and what he could offer you. If we think Greg Berhalter likes his guys. We've seen him start Jesus Ferreira before. Yeah. I just wonder if he really sees Jordan Peacock as a starter, or he thinks, that's the thing. That guy's got goals. I can bring him on as a super sub. I think. I think if we're talking about what Greg Berhalter would do, I think he sees Jordan Peacock as a substitute, and I think ultimately the guy that he may go with is Jesus Ferreira. Usually we are the ones asking the outlawed questions today. It's actually <laughs> the American outlaws. Here's the third. With the way Mexico has been struggling at home, do you think Berhalter comes out tomorrow with a more attacking midfield, maybe with Gio up top and Adams and Musa behind him, or do you think Acosta comes in in more of a defensive role with uh, Gio on the bench or out wide? Thank you. Ooh, see, I like this question because it's really about strategy, and I think it really goes to how weak do you think Mexico is and how long, like how good do you feel uh, if you're the United well, States. Well, let me give you some context of, of why probably taking it to Mexico's midfield is a good idea. They struggled with physicality throughout the campaign, the World Cup qualifying campaign. And I could go back to the first game, World Cup qualifying against Jamaica. A COVID-depleted Jamaican side, 12 players, including Mikel Antonio, who could not participate in that game. And it took a Henry Martin 88th minute banger for them to win, for them to get a result. Then you fast forward against Canada at home, a game that Canada thoroughly outplayed the Mexican national team, a 1-1 result that they could have stole. Three points. John Herdman ate Tata's lunch. You fast forward Costa Rica at home, 0-0, but it was a very disguised 0-0. The most quality opportunities came to the Costa Rica national team. They should have won that game. They didn't. It's a tie. Then you go to Panama at home. And it's a 1-0 win, Raul Jimenez PK in the 88th minute in a very controversial Diego Linus PK, no PK call, what do you do? They gave it to him. They've not 
really convinced anybody at home to the point where their own fans have turned on him. So with the psychological edge you already hold, three games going on, plus the underwhelming play of Mexico in Estadio Azteca, with the circumstances and your physical midfield, I think you could run him into the ground. I think it's a good idea maybe to try to go at them. And it's so funny because we talk about offensive and defensive-minded, like the coach decides how the team is going to kind of have its posture on the field, and obviously do, but a lot of that comes down to the players. Yes. And I'm thinking about some comments in, in the last week from Paul Arriola who said, and he was on the team in 2017, that by the way, got a very valuable point out of Azteca, of course, the Michael Bradley chip. Started that game. He was on the team and he said, hey, we went down there just to get anything out of that game. He said, we're coming here now to win. And so I got to think that as much as Greg Berhalter can look at Mexico and see weakness, these players have to look at Mexico, see weakness. It's got to be almost up to them to go on the front foot. I spoke about the psychological edge as a player. Knowing that you've beaten an opponent three times must give you a sense of, I don't want to say comfort because you should feel uncomfortable going into the final stretch of this World Cup qualifying, but at least make you believe like you can do it. At least make you believe like you have a chance. I don't want to hear about altitude. This is the golden generation, right? This is a privilege to play in El Estadio Azteca, a stadium that's held two World Cup finals, a stadium that saw the birth of Pele, a stadium that saw, as a champion, who saw, who saw Diego Armando Maradona also lift a trophy here. Iconic footballing moments. You could be part of history for the U.S. men's national team. They're just as nervous. They're just, they'll be just as tired. They'll be just as conscious about themselves as you will. Mexico has all that potential pressure uh, from the home fans. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, we know how they can turn. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's let's lock our attention in on Mexico because they trained earlier today. Funny enough, first, not at the Azteca, at their kind of uh, center of high performance, at Centro de Alto Rendimiento. There you see uh, some of the images today. Of course, Mexico, this is the first of three for them as well in this window coming up after this. It's Honduras and El Salvador. With more on Mexico, let's get it over to Pilar Perez, who joins us from outside El Estadio Azteca. Sevis, Eric, Mao, hello. I envy you so much because you're still in El Pinche Gringo. I love that place. Say hello to my friends over there because I know them well. Um, well, we're still here outside the Estadio Azteca, the USMT team still training in the pitch of this amazing stadium. You already can tell what is going to be the atmosphere tomorrow. Around more or less 50,000 fans are going to be here, uh, mostly cheering for the three, but some of them are, I don't know, thinking about that homophobic chant. That's why the Mexican Federation has been implementing a new protocol as you know the fan ID so tomorrow everyone needs to bring ID ticket and also a registration in the Mexican Federation webpage that allowed them to enter to the stadium if you don't have one of those three you cannot get in and this is because uh, they need to um, track everyone not just for the homophobic chant but also for the violence, you know, that we just lived a very black day in La Corregidora. And now, well, they're trying to avoid that kind of behavior. And now with this fine ID, they're willing to know exactly who is screaming that chanting and who is also violent, something that we are not used to see or watch in this kind of games but uh, for now everything is set for tomorrow uh, we're going to be here and I hope to see you around guys great stuff there from Pilar who joins us from outside of Estadio Azteca and there you see uh, some of the recent records for Mexico at their home facility uh, not bad marks but not what we're accustomed to from L3 uh, at home. 
Interesting to hear uh, Bilana there talking about the new protocols. Not really new protocols, but protocols that could come into play tomorrow. You think we hear the chant? I hope not. Yeah. I hope we don't. I'd like to say we, we, we won't hear the chant. But as it stands right now, the it depends how the game goes, right? If Mexico scores first, mm -hmm. the game goes in favor of Mexico, we won't hear the chant. Ah. If the opposite happens, we'll hear the chant. Yeah, that's a good point, huh? That's usually when we hear it, right? It's yeah. when things aren't going well. So I agree with Mao. If the game, the longer the game goes in a favorable presence for the U.S. men's national team and not Mexico, that's when you'll hear it. Now, you do a lot of, like, boxing shows, right? You're very into, into yeah. boxing. Now, I know often on boxing you do, like, tail of the tape, right? Between the two yeah. teams. So uh, why don't we do that here with these two teams? We'll go kind of linea por linea, no position by position, and try to decide who has the edge in each spot. Let's start at the very back. Who do you think has more confidence in their goalie at the moment, Mexico or the U.S. men's national? This is the easiest one. Mexico has the best, uh, the second-best goalkeeper in the region in CONCACAF, and that's Francisco Guillermo Ochoa. Uh, second best goalkeeper in the history of Mexico. This hasn't been a great year for uh, America, for Memo Choa in particular. He's still the best goalkeeper that Mexico has. He's a consummate starter. He's a record holder. Chances are he will go to his, to his fifth World Cup. So I got to give it to Memo. Yeah, we don't even know who the goalkeeper is going to be for the U.S. Men's National Fair Point. So, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, look, Guillermo Cho is a very good goalkeeper. He's tried and tested. But the other side, you've got Ethan Horvat, who started seven of the eight last games for Nottingham Forest, who's a hot hand for sure. And then you have Zach Steppen, who happens to be one of the trusted confidants, confidants, I should say, of, of Greg Berhalter. And he last played versus Mexico, and he played very well. One big question, though, set pieces, uh -huh. right? That's that's the element in which Memo Ochoa is the most uncomfortable. So, and that's one of the big, big advantages for the U.S. men's national team. So set pieces will be the key decider to me in this game. Yeah, that's what I would say is that, like, if you look at Memo's weakness, it matches up perfectly or imperfectly, depending on what side you're looking at, uh, with what the U.S. does really well. It's hard to say Zach Steppen is a better goalie than Memo Ochoa, right, if we look at their careers. But also with Memo, there's been, not just with America, with Mexico not coming off the line. It's not just set pieces. I think there are some real concerns with Memo right now. I do not agree. Oh, no. no. You don't remember the Panama game? No, Panama? No, no, no. I think if there's. about that? Memo shot today as you did at the beginning of this qualifying cycle? I'll, I don't. I'll, I'll, say that. Answer, I'll answer the question with this. There's no other goalkeeper in Mexico that, will, that would give me even more confidence right now than Memo Choa. Yeah, I'm going to tell you this. And, and you can talk about Memo Ochoa uh, all you want, but there are a few guys behind him who are better goalkeepers right now in Liga MX than Memo Ochoa. Rodolfo Cota. He's not better than Ochoa right now. He's not. Oh, yes, he is. No, 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 he's not. Oh, oh by, by no, no, a long, no, 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 no. By a long I'm way. I'm sorry. Did you and, not watch the game Carlos against Tigres? And Carlos Acevedo. You look at statistically, yes, easily. Have you not seen America play? I don't need the stats. That's America. That's not Memo. I do not need the stats. Oh, no, no, no. I need to see the performance. And Memo Ochoa has never had a game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Memo Ochoa has never had a game Rodolfo Cota had against Leon. Tigres. I'm sorry. Never. All right, let's move on from goalie uh, to the back line. Uh, Girana Reike, our, our colleague with Tudene, has, he usually gets the lineups a little bit earlier, something uh, very close. Here's the back line that he's reporting for tomorrow's game. Uh, Jorge Sanchez, I'll go right, right to left. Oh. Jorge Sanchez, Cesar Montes, Hector Moreno, and Gerardo Arteaga. We don't know what the U.S. back line will be. Who are you giving the edge to at the backer? This one's difficult. Uh, pause. Yes, but I would have to give it to the U.S. men's national team because I assume that it's going to be Walker Zimmerman and Miles Robinson, and you know that it's got to be Yedlin because he's the only healthy right back at the moment, and Anthony Robinson. So you almost have the formation set for yourself, right? So if that's the back line versus an Hector Moreno who's on the other side of 30, who doesn't do well with physicality, who in transition could be vulnerable, with Artiaga who loves to go forward, with a Jorge Sanchez who's very, very air prone, I I'm going to give the edge right now slightly to the U.S. men's national team, even playing in the Azteca. I am outraged, <laughs> outraged that Jochen Vasquez is not a part of the starting lineup. Are you that surprised I you guys, I told you guys on Monday, uh, the coaching staff hesitated to call up Jochen Vasquez. Can I be honest? I, I understand, not, not calling him up, I understand not starting him. He's playing left back in Italy and you need a it center It doesn't matter. He's still your best player in the back line. You can play him. Look at that stat right there. When they both start, they're undefeated. Oh, yeah. We don't have those stats oh, for you, no. Juan Vasquez. One goal again. We do not, but I'll tell you this. He started the last eight games for Genoa, and they haven't lost. 
So How many of those do they win? He must, one. <laughs> but he's not a striker. He's oh, not an attacker. I'm a big Johan believer as well. Right. I, I'm with you. I'm a big Johan believer as well. But this isn't news. I told you months ago that Tata Martino didn't rate him. And we've had this conversation, it seems, over and over and over again. And I don't know why it's taken Tata Martino and the Mexican Federation so long to start a generational shift. Yeah, yeah. But it's needed to happen. Especially at the back. And I mean, now, the and now, Tata Martino can ill afford to do it. That's the worst part. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at it, there was probably a time when you wanted him to get some more center backs in. Now it's the outside backs. And he's really not been able to turn that over. And those are weaknesses for this Mexican squad. They are very concerning weaknesses. And if I ask you right now, from that star line of four defenders, who's the best defender? Hmm. Who's who's Cesar in better Montes. shape right now? Cesar Montes. Cesar Montes yeah. and and and. I mean, I'm not that confident if he's going to be my best defender against the UN's best national team, especially like we, like we saw in that stat, defending set pieces. And he's, he's been good. He's been good. He's been okay. But if we look at the, the Olympic pairing of Johan Vasquez and Cesar Montes, the clear star in that pairing, the clear star in that back line was Johan Vasquez. Uh, one thing we should know, Reggie Cannon, uh, an inconclusive COVID test. So he is in COVID protocol. That's one less option at right back. We're already, you had Serginho Dest out. I mean, it's DeAndre Yedlin by default at that point. Sitting on the yellow. Yeah, which I think is also another concern. Maybe the point here is that neither back line is all that settled. Uh, should be a game that maybe uh, gets interesting. Let's go from the back line then to the midfield. This is a very interesting discussion because I think both of these midfields, you pretty much know two of the three, but that third is a big talking point. Who do you think has the edge? Well, does it depend on what the what the managers decide to do? It, it does, but let, let's assume it's it's Edson Alvarez, H H Hector Herrera, and, and what is Charlie Rodriguez, Rodriguez which is reported, yeah. versus a Eunice Musa, uh, Tyler Adams, and Kellen Acosta. What I think will be, you have to look not at the individual moments of the Mexican players, but where were they were last window individually and collectively with the Mexican national team. People were calling for Hector Herrera to be pulled from the starting lineup. People are still expecting Charlie Rodriguez to shine too, through. We look at the games that they've struggled, the Jamaica at home, the Costa Rica, the, the Canada especially. It's Edson Alvarez on an island trying to defend that back line, trying to defend and give balance to that midfield. And I look at the other side, Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta, a little bit more presence and balance. And Eunice Musa, who I truly feel is one of the premier stars in CONCACAF, I think they got the edge both technically when it comes to dual, to a dual type of A play and physicality as well. You agree? No, Mexico has the midfield advantage and here's why. Your arguments, you're not wrong, oh. but you went, you went way, way back. Hector Herrera I went last Rodriguez window. are way different players than the ones we've seen lately with the Mexican national team. Hector Herrera has been crucial for Atletico de Madrid. He's a starter and he's been playing fantastic. Charlie Rodriguez with Cruz Azul is a very different Charlie Rodriguez different position. than the one we saw. Correct. And according to our very own John Sutcliffe, there is a chance that tomorrow, without Andres Guardado, Tata Martino will play two holding midfielders mm. in Edson Alvarez, Hector Herrera, and Charlie Rodriguez will have some more freedom to play up front, like he does right now with Cruz Azul. Is that what Hector Herrera does best, is defending the No, midfield? I'm sorry, two holding midfielders yeah, at fine. home it's against fine. the United States it's in a must-win game? Okay. The United States without that's not, that's five starters? I don't, I don't believe that seems like a conservative lineup because you play two guys who, by the way, can give you a lot playing up front, pushing forward. You play, Charlie Rodriguez plays with a little bit more of freedom. You have Chucky Lozano on one side, Tecatito Carona on the other side. That's a very aggressive I, I, lineup. I've got a very impregnated, lasting impression of Hector Herrera playing as a holding mid versus Costa Rica and how that looks. He's been playing holding midfielder for Atletico de Madrid. What does he got around him? Right now, he's playing on an island by himself. What does he have around him in Atletico de Madrid? Rodrigo de Paul hasn't started, right? Go so okay. all the responsibility of recovering the football relies on Hector Herrera. So his level right now is excellent. Mexico has the advantage. I, I was trying to kind of decide where I would go with this. Weston McKinney being out is a, is a huge time. Huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. And then the other thing I was like trying to decide is who do I think is a better player, Edson or Tyler Adams? And I, it's Edson. tough, man. Right now, I would go with Edson. Yeah. yeah. Look at, look at, come on, come on, way. I think he wants Edson. to say Edson. No, no. But he knows, no. he knows his crowd. No. He knows his audience. He's not going to say it. I've said, I've said many a times Edson Alvarez is the best defensive midfielder in CONCACAF. But I don't know if it's fair to him how he plays with the Mexican national team. That's a good point. All right, what about the forwards? Uh, who's got the best nines? U.S. men's national team. 
Wow. Whoa. Whoa. And they don't have wow. a, they don't yeah. have a number nine. That right we now. Know of, you know? Right now. Again. Again. I'm not going to the past. I'm going from what I've seen in the past how could four you to say five that? weeks. All right. Here we go. You know how many goals Tecatito Corona, Chucky Lozano, and Raúl Jiménez have scored in total in this year, 2022? Six. Two, uh, four by Raúl Jiménez, two by Irving Lozano in the same game, by the way. So this is not a great attacking line for Mexico as of recently. I'm going to give that edge to your guys at U.S. Men's National Team. I can't even answer who's going to play the nine position. I can tell you who's going to play the nine position for the Mexican National Team. He plays in the Premier League for Wolves, and he happens to be is one of the, the better. Yes. Is he? Yes. He's not he has scored. Hold on, hold on. Listen to what I'm going to say. You look at the statistics of how he sets up goals, it's in the upper third of the Premier League. I you didn't like not those statistics. Not the I Swiss thought, League. I thought, you were not, I thought you were not a fan of advanced you stats. You can't tell me. You now you're a fan? I didn't say advanced stats. I said goals, assists. You can't tell me who's going to be the starter for the U.S. Men's National right. at the ninth position. Well, and the other thing, too, is if you're going to go off form for Raul, well, form for Pepe, I mean, form for all the American forwards, there's no goal. Fine. Except for Peafox. Fine. Are you going to equate the Swiss League and MLS to the Premier League? Is that what we're doing now? So listen, I'll tell you this. If you know who's deserving play as a starter tomorrow for Mexico? Alexis Vega. If you play Alexis Vega in the false nine. nine role, then I will give the edge to Mexico. Wow, you're really over Raul Jimenez, huh? You're where I was like three months ago where I just don't think he's ever going to be the player he was. I just don't think he's in his best shape, best form right He was benched. He was, he's been benched twice in the past month. When had that happened before? He's been benched because he has not been playing great. So you get benched in the Premier League, you're not good enough for CONCACAF is what we're No, it means you're not in great shape. All right, lightning round of Book It here because last weekend I lost some folks a lot of money with my pick. So <laughs> we got to make it back here, Herc. What's your pick for the USA? I Mexican found this great prop bet. I, I didn't have Paul Arriola in my starting 11, but I think Greg Berhalter will. If Paul Arriola gets two shots or more on goal, it pays you plus 700. Oh. I recall Parayola in the Gold Cup final by himself having at least three or four chances on goal. I think his versatility, his verticality, and his speed will cause problems for the Mexico back line. And I think he's going to be a guy that consistently tests them. He will get his shots. Plus 700 is good value. Really good value if he starts, right? If he doesn't, it's probably a long shot to get that. Nah, seven hundred off the bench too. Well, you're the prince of the prop bets, dude. You've hit on those, it. on those plenty before. All right, so you got Ariola, two or more shots on target at plus 700. That's your first big fat winner for tomorrow night, courtesy of Hercules Gomez. Mauricio Pedrosa, All right. where are you going? All right, so that was a, that was a plus 700 bet. I want to make you folks win money. Uh, so here we go. Total goals, two and a half, take the under. I know, I know, negative 170 is fine. It's not a lot of money, but it's a safe bet. Eight, if you place that bet in eight of the last 11 games in World Cup qualifiers for Mexico, congratulations, you won a lot of money. Mm. And if we, if we go back to the history between Mexico and the U.S. men's national team at Estadio Azteca playing World Cup qualifiers, that's the one to go. Play the under, two and a half goals. Uh, it's gonna be a tight game. Not a lot of chances, not a lot of clear chances. And like we said, uh, number nine, strikers, forwards, not in great shape. I like that because it follows one of my rules. In a Clásico, always bet the under. And sometimes, especially if it's like a final, bet the draw. So I was tempted with the draw, which was at plus 245, big payout. But again, I've been losing folks money late, so I needed something a little bit more conservative. This one's easy, right? Both teams can score. We just talked about how fragile both these teams are uh, on the back line. Then you look at both front threes, I think capable of creating chances, if not goals for maybe the nine position, but you got, if it is a way, if it is a Pulisic, you have people that can score for the U.S. We know that front three for Mexico can create chances as well. Again, maybe they won't finish them, but I think there'll be plenty of chances. And I don't really think either goalie is like a, a guy that right now is capable of standing on his head. It's not a Keylor Navas, either one of these guys. So I think both teams to score plus 100. Should be a, a lead to a pretty good game. Let's get some uh, let's get some overall predictions then here. Perk, what are you taking tomorrow? Give me a final Everything score. in my head tells me this is going to be your standard 1-1 draw. You know, and I don't know how good it does. Either or in the grand scheme, no, maybe. No, it's huge for the U.S. A, a I don't know. I, I think it's yeah. a good. I think yeah. it's a good point. 
It's a good point. Very good point. Especially because, because it sets you up to avoid Costa Rica. Correct. Costa correct. Rica beats Canada. But not so much for Mexico, but it's the classic, very heated, very emotional. You said both teams get a goal. I can see that happening. But you don't really, like, trust either team to hold a lead, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. No, so that's, I think the draw is a good one. What do you got? Dos a cero. Dos a cero. I have to ask which side. Mexico. Oy. Mexico dos. The U.S. men's national team. Cero. And wow. finally. Okay, so we got a that draw. Dos a cero, Mexico. Say finally? We got a win for Mexico. Shock me, Seb. Go ahead. I think Mexico will win. And I think it'll be one nothing. Oh come on, I think man! It'll be one nothing. Come on, that's I don't, boring. You think this Mexico team can score two goals in a game? Ugh. By the way, Wacker Zimmerman plus fourteen hundred goal. Oh, you same as Diego Linus. <laughs> same as Diego Linus. Ouch! The prince of the prop bet. Uh, Hercules Gomez. Okay, so just a quick programming note. We're not done from here in Mexico. Of course, we will be coming to you live immediately after the final whistle on Thursday night. Maybe four or five minutes after the final whistle, we get our hair done, we get our makeup on, uh, and we will be ready to join you live on Thursday from ESPN's Mexico City studio. Should be a lot of fun as we break down everything that happened between the United States and Mexico. For Hercules Gomez, Mauricio Pedrosa, and all of our friends here at the American Outlaws, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Broadcasting from Mexico City, and we will see you back here in just about 24 hours' time.